Hi, welcome to the Landscape of Cranes Cleveland podcast. We are presented with support of Weatherhead Executive Education at Case Western Reserve University. I'm Dan Paletta. Thanks for spending some time with us. This past Tuesday, Cleveland voters narrowed the field of candidates down to two to see who will replace incumbent Mayor Frank Jackson here in the city of Cleveland. Those two candidates are Justin Bibb, a nonprofit executive from the east side, and Cleveland City Council President Kevin Kelly from the west side. Here to talk to us about some of the numbers from the election and what we might look forward to in the fall is our own Kim Palmer, who covers government and policy for Cranes. Kim, welcome back to the landscape. Glad you can join us. Thank you very much for having me, Dan. So before we talk about the success that the two candidates had who won their campaigns and are going to be facing off, let's talk a little bit about the numbers. I think the buzz around this primary is because there were some new faces and there wasn't an incumbent mayor that there would be a better voter turnout. How did things go? The turnout was a a little bit better. Um, If you want to look at it optimistically, uh, we came in about uh, anywhere from two to three points, percentage points higher than the 2017 primary uh, the last time that we were discussing, you know, who was going to be in City Hall. So when you consider a pandemic, uh, you know, and and, uh, that we had had a special election uh, with the uh, U.S. rep uh, seat that Marsha Fudge vacated with Chantel Brown and Nina Turner, which confused people definitely. Um, And a few comments that I did see and hear around town that seven candidates was too many so that people were going to wait for the general election so that they only had two choices to make. I think, you know, we can at least look at it uh, positively that it was um, that we had about a 15 percent turnout uh, this time around and that we saw certain wards really really show up with um, 150% more and 140% more turnout than they did uh, four years ago. Did voters take advantage of absentee ballots for this primary? There were absentee ballots and and we also had the um, early voting. Uh, so we did see we did see numbers, good numbers with that, uh, which is something to keep in mind as we see some pressures on both of those things from uh, the state and around the country that people are still even in a special election, even in a primary, still looking for those two types of voting. Um, Even on a nice day, it was nice and sunny, as opposed to our November uh, general elections, which, you know, are often a, you know, gloomy and rainy and cold. Uh, So people are still taking advantage of those ways to vote and um, especially on the weekends and the, and, and the off hours. So something to keep note of as, as those things go through the state and, and other state legislatures. As we look at the numbers, Justin Bibb did seem to win the election in this primary by a fairly comfortable margin. How did he do? How many precincts did he win? Do we know? Well, of the 332 precincts here uh, that were eligible f- uh, to vote for the mayoral candidates, uh, he won 74 of them. And the ones that he did win, um, he had some 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 good numbers, winning them over 50 percent uh, over uh, the other candidates. So in the places where he won, he was winning uh, pretty dominantly uh, when you consider, you know, this huge field that we had to choose from. How about Kelly? Did he win a decent amount of precincts? Kelly Kelly did uh, 142 precincts, um, and uh, they included Old Brooklyn and Cam's Corners. He was uh, he showed up in the in the in the wards that he didn't uh, didn't actually prevail in. He still was uh, usually in the top two. So really, the the Bibb and Kelly uh, runoff seems to make sense because they were they had the majority of support in the largest amount of areas in the city. 
We often see candidates who gain support on one side of the city or the other. Justin Pitt was interesting in that he really campaigned throughout the entire city. Sometimes candidates don't do that. They sort of focus on what their base is going to be and just try to get those people out. Bibb seemed to be all over the place. Bibb, you know, he joined the race uh, early and uh, one of the first uh, to, to, to put his hat in the ring as some of the other more established uh, candidates, including Kelly, even Sandra Williams held off a little bit from what she said uh, to Cranes, to wait for Frank Jackson to make his official announcement that he wasn't going to run in this election. Jackson did uh, wait quite a bit. And uh, we did see some candidates sort of, you know, preempt him, uh, even if it was, you know, not a formal announcement, but started campaigning. But Bibb was out there right away and he hit the streets pretty hard, uh, both with a, you know, door to door canvassing early and a get out the vote message, which he was going to need because he's arguably compared to Kelly, who's city council president, you know, the newcomer to the race. Kelly seemed to have a pretty strong ground game, too, being out and about. That's still needed in a city like Cleveland to win an election, isn't it? Do you really still have to go out there and knock on doors and go to rallies and, and barbecues and all kinds of stuff? It would it would seem so, because really, you know, I mean, both Bib and Kelly were the top fundraisers uh, in this in this campaign. And they were, you know, the ones who were on the ground and in the streets the most. So I mean, those are just those traditional campaign things that even with the ability of digital marketing and social media to to really drill down and and send advertisements to people on their Facebook pages about their precinct from their zip code that we've seen that can happen. Um, you know, we still get, and, and I know this is a podcast, so bear with me. We still get all the mailers, you know, uh, all these things in the mail. Uh, I think this uh, measured almost an inch um, as I live uh, in the city of Cleveland uh, that I received from all the candidates. You still get the mailers. Some of them are goofy, but uh, yeah, it, it uh, the, the ground game is still important uh, in the city of Cleveland and in year 2021. So we mentioned there were five other candidates. Bashir Jones did fairly well. I think he won four awards. Former Mayor Kucinich won three, and I think Zach Reed won three. Uh, Bashir Jones, in his concession speech, made it very clear that he he said he and his supporters were going to play a major role in deciding who the next mayor will be. Obviously, the two candidates are going to try to curry favor with those other candidates. We have any feeling for who might get behind whom? Well, this is the big question, right? Um, we did see a good amount of endorsements for a primary. Um, Kucinich, for one, just racked up, you know, union endorsement after union endorsement. Unions I didn't even know were still around came out in, in support of him um, as he is not one of the two candidates going into the general. It'll be really curious to see where do those union endorsements go now. And Bashir Jones, you know, Second to Kucinich, uh, as far as sort of non-political name recognition, he really had that covered as someone who used to have a radio show and who is, you know, uh, in the community on the east side of Cleveland. So his endorsement will uh, will be interesting. And he hasn't, uh, haven't heard yet who that will be, but um, it'll be interesting uh, to see who he comes out for and when. So let's talk for a moment about the Kucinich campaign. I, it sort of seemed that when you heard, talk to people and you watch the media, everyone seemed to almost say, well, certainly Dennis is going to be one of the two candidates because he's the best known of all the candidates in the election. But that didn't happen. Where did his campaign fall short? 
Well, you know, it's that name recognition, right? Uh, you, it, it comes, you know, when you come in with that name recognition, it, you're already ahead of the game. And everybody knows Dennis Kucinich, Kucinich in the city of Cleveland, both from his, his term as mayor and as a uh, rep uh, before, before redistricting. Uh, but, you know, what we saw in the election of uh, Nina Turner and Chantel Brown for uh, Marsha Fudge's seat is that this, some voters seem to bristle a little bit about, you know, toward a candidate who, yes, was a known name here in the city and had been part of the city, but had moved away and hasn't been around these last 10 years, which have been, you know, five, 10 years, which have been extremely transformative and different, you know, bringing in different demographics into downtown, bringing different people to live in the city of Cleveland proper. And I wonder if Kucinich didn't suffer just a little bit from that sort of carpet bagging syndrome, uh, you know, uh, syndrome that I think Nina Turner uh, found herself uh, suffering from when it came to actually getting down and getting supporters to go out, you know, in a special election or in a summer, you know, fall primary to vote. I often wonder, too, in the case of Kucinich with a candidate like Justin Bibb, he obviously had support in places like Ohio City, Tremont, where there tend to be younger voters. Kelly certainly had his ward support. Bashir Jones had his ward support. But what's Dennis's base? What would his base have been at this point? I mean, uh, again, you know, he really did rack up those endorsements um, from the unions. But as someone close to the Bibb campaign said to me at one point, you know, because of law changes, which used to require, you know, city employees, police and fire to live in city, the city of Cleveland proper, uh, that you're, you don't see as many of these, these groups that belong to unions that follow union advice actually living in the city anymore. And so what we seem to hear is a lot of people looking in, you know, people who aren't eligible to vote in the city say, well, it's got to be Kucinich because that's the name I know because they might not be as familiar with the other candidates. We're talking with Kim Palmer. She covers government and policy for Cranes Cleveland. This is the Landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast. We're presented with support of Weatherhead Executive Education at Case Western Reserve University. I'm Dan Paletta. Kim, you mentioned the mailers, and some of those did come from candidates, but I think we started to see a lot of them coming from outside sources, and some of them were fairly controversial. Yes, uh, PACs and dark money were uh, the big controversy, you know, uh, leading up to the the primary uh, this week. The messaging, you know, from groups that aren't don't aren't affiliated with one campaign or another that tended to be more negative than anything coming from the actual campaigns themselves. It was a pretty mild, uh, you know, uh, campaign amongst the seven as far as taking any shots or, you know, trying to dig up any dirt directly. But everything that sort of uh, questioned people's uh, motives or, or some of their background or past deeds or financial uh, reports, uh, those all were uh, third party sources, whether a PAC or, or groups that couldn't find the, fun- you know, you don't know where the funding comes by design. As you observed the campaign, did anybody surprise you to stand out as a candidate in addition? You know, I know obviously Bibb and Kelly must have voters went to the polls and voted for them. But did anybody strike you as having a bright future, perhaps down the line? Oh, well, um, 
Yeah, I think the question is, where does Dennis Kucinich go uh, from here? He's in his 70s and he's, you know, uh, had a career both in politics and in media. What does Dennis do now? Does he, does he, is he going to continue to live in his house that he's, he's lived in since the 70s by Halloran Park? Or, you know, is he off, uh, you know, to other cities? We will see. He does have a book out that I, I believe everyone can buy if they're interested in. You know, uh, like you said, Bashir Jones has promised to stay in, um, you know, in public life and to be a power broker here in the city. Uh, Ross DeBello, who um, was the least well-funded candidate, uh, received the least amount of votes, but he, that was a grassroots campaign from the very, very beginning. Uh, he collected all the signatures himself and he, and he hung in there until the very end. We'll see, we'll see what we hear from, from Ross going you know, going on. And of course, Sandra Williams is our state senator. Um, and uh, she's been involved in politics and has a lot of resources down at the state house. It's pretty popular. We'll see. We'll see what uh, what comes of her, you know, um, as of November. But uh, it, it, it was a good group. So uh, I, I'm sure we haven't heard the la- last of, of probably any of them, to be quite honest with you. As we look ahead to this fall campaign, let's talk about the two candidates we're going to square off. I mean, this seems almost like too simple of a narrative. Young Justin Bibb, the political outsider, Kevin Kelly, the political insider, east side, west side. But I mean, that those things are going to come into play, aren't they? I mean, that is uh, that is the narrative, right? With their age differences, uh, Bibb in his 30s and, and Kelly in his 50s. Um, Kelly, you know, uh, being holding city council and president city, you know, city council offices. Uh, He was endorsed by uh, the incumbent mayor, Frank Jackson. Kelly was, whereas uh, Bibb has been endorsed by Mike White. Um, Yeah, the one thing we'll we'll probably need to look at and we'll maybe make this a little more of a a nuanced race uh, outside of those things will be, you know, what uh, what their stances are on some of the big issues uh, that that the you know have been talked about in this race, and if we're going to see a big divide or a big you know gap in between, you know how they look at things like public safety, housing, uh, you know uh, utilities. Strangely enough, you know are, are promising to be an issue as well. Uh, this is when we get down and dirty with some some of those policy ideas that we have that. Up to now, with seven candidates, we haven't really gotten too in the dirt with those. I guess I might should correct myself. I say east side, west side, but Bibb's really more downtown near west side. Does that make the east side up for play more than it might have been in past elections? Ah, uh, it could. Yes, and 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 again, that's where Bashir Jones comes in. He has a he has a a, a good following, you know, in certain uh, the central and the east side neighborhoods, and and his uh, endorsement could. Could you know mean a lot for uh, one of those candidates? Um, yeah, I don't know if, if things are as easy as East Side West Side. I only say that as someone who used to live on the East Side and now is a West Side Clevelander. So I have to. <laughs> it does happen. It's rare, but it does happen. Um, and you know, also don't forget the downtown. Um, this is a new group of of residents. It's a young demographic. Uh, you know, uh, they're going to ask a lot of these candidates. I think they're going to hold uh, their feet to the fire, um, you know, when we get down to brass tacks and, and start talking rural policy. 
Kim Palmer looks like this is going to be an exciting and fun election since we don't have an incumbent two interesting candidates facing off. Thanks for sharing some thoughts on what transpired on Tuesday and what we can look forward to in the fall. Well, I'm excited. I hope other people are. And let's get those uh, voter turnout rates up. Kim Palmer covers government and policy for Greens Cleveland. She joined us today for The Landscape, a Greens Cleveland podcast. We're presented with the support of Weatherhead Executive Education at Case Western Reserve University. On behalf of our producer, Cody Smith, thanks for joining us and we'll talk again soon.